Father, as we enter this new year, 2017, we don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now or even a minute from now. We don't know what challenges we're going to face. We don't know what's in front of us, but we know that you are sovereign God and you are in control. And we, as a sign of dedication and submission to you, are offering our hearts and souls to you to use us in whatever way you want us to be used. Father, I pray for all the challenges that are represented throughout this, this place this morning. And, and Father, you know the heart, you know the, uh, the fear, you know the trepidation, you know the challenge, you know the hurt, you know all things. And we thank you that your love just supersedes and transcends all those things. And you love us as we are, where we are. And you care about every detail of our lives. And I just pray that as we have worshipped you, we would in some small measure seen how great and how powerful and how strong and how much you love us. Knowing that you are in control. So we just place that in your hands that you'll ask that you build our faith today. And Father, I just pray that you'll continue to speak to us through the book of Acts. God, we thank you that, that the author, Luke, wrote these narratives so that we could understand the, the beginning of, of the church that we're a part of now. No, not the beginning of Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, but the, the beginning of the church in the New Testament. We are the continuation. We are that church today. Not just us, but churches all throughout this nation, all throughout the world, as the unstoppable power of God has spread throughout all the world. And I pray that as we understand our role in that, that you would use us to change lives. Father, take the word now. Speak it to our hearts. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're going to talk about change. Change. Some people like change and some people don't like change. And we'd probably be about a 50-50 or 30-30 or whatever that might be in that. Someone was overheard saying, me change? Why mess with perfection? Well, most people seem willing to change, not because they see the light, but because they feel the heat. Those are people who resist change. Other people love change. They change jobs, they change friends, change spouses, but they never think of changing themselves. All some people want or need to make them happy is a change. In fact, most of the time, that's all a baby needs, but that's a whole other story. Change. Some love it, some hate it. All of us need it. All of us need it. Sometimes it takes something drastic or radical to make us change. We're entering 2017, and there's one thing guaranteed that we can expect coming in the year ahead, and that is change. We're going to experience change. Today we're going to look at radical change. We're going to look at what I consider the second most important event in the life of the beginning of the church after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. It's an encounter that so radically changed someone that he and the world were never the same again. And I'd like you to turn with me to Acts, the ninth chapter, Acts 9. It's on page 890 in the Bible in the rack in front of you if you prefer to follow in that. Acts 9, and we're going to read the first 22 verses of Acts 9 this morning. 
Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked them, him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among, among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to talk today about change, and more specifically about the process or the progression of change. God's process for changing lives. And we're going to see how change came in Saul and basically how God produces change in each one of us. Let's start with a place every one of us can start. It's number one, it's the need for change. In spite of the fact that you may not think you need change, this is the need for change. It applies to every one of us. I'm sure that Saul was happy with who he was, and Saul saw no need for change in his life. Tradition has it that Saul was bald-headed, bull-legged, and strongly built, a man small in size with heavy eyebrows that connected over his rather large nose. He was readily identifiable by his walk and his bearing and his mannerisms. Saul was aggressive, he was tireless and tenacious, a, a fighter that reminds you of a pit bull that just will not let go. He was a Pharisee, one of the very religious leaders we read about in the Gospels, the ones that Jesus always took to task. He was always confronting those Pharisees. Saul was self-righteous, he was independent, and he was very judgmental. He was a loyal Pharisee out to destroy this sect that was called the Way. 
He was vicious, threatening. He was fire-breathing and striking fear into anyone who was on the other side, whatever that side might be. He would have made a great prosecuting attorney. Any bill collection agency would have hired him on the spot. Organized crime would have given their right arm or someone else's for his services. Words like Terminator, Equalizer, Rambo, Dirty Harry, they would all fit well. And Saul was out arresting, beating, and imprisoning Christians in the name of God and organized religion, all with the blessing of the organized church or the synagogue or religious system of that day. If we look at his background, we find that Saul was reared by Hebrew parents in the Hellenistic city of Tarsus. In other words, he was of Hebrew tradition and religion, but he was Greek in culture. And he was highly educated because of, of his parents' stature and resources, plus his own intellectual brilliance, which is obvious as we go through this. Uh, Saul had won the sought-after position of studying with the greatest Hebrew intellectual of the day, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. He was fluent in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It was obvious that God was preparing him for something, something special. On the positive side, Saul had a lot of good characteristics. He was honest, he was intense, he was passionate. You can never describe Saul as lukewarm or passive. He had a dominating personality capable of anger and biting sarcasm, and also he had great passion and was capable of tremendous emotion. He was a character with infinite potential, but he needed to change. He needed to change. He was heading the wrong direction. Does Saul remind you of anyone you know? Anybody you know? All, all around, when we look at people, we, we see people with tremendous potential. But their attitudes, their outlook, their actions, their, their characteristics need refinement or change. They need to be changed. And in our life, we can take heart because God looks at who we are and who we can become. He looks at where we are and where we can be if we allow him to change us. And we all, all of us, need changing. No one needed change as bad as Saul at this point, though. He wanted to do what was right, thought he was doing what was right, but he needed change. He needed a redirection. Change is a process. And God usually prepares people for change. When, when we're to change, he usually softens the heart. He begins to raise questions. He'll begin to point out issues. He breaks or remolds clay, the clay that we're made of, so, so that we can be ready and we can be changed. God had a plan for Saul that began before he was even born. It's something called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is grace that goes before, that God's grace goes out and prepares us for this encounter with Jesus Christ. He prepared Saul, and if you've not had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he's preparing you. Let's look at how that happens. Number two, we look at preparation for change. Saul's circumstances and events influenced him the most. There were a lot of things that influenced Saul. He had seen and heard Jesus. It was obvious that we only hear his name and hear who he is in the book of Acts, but he was active as part of the Jewish religious establishment all throughout the Gospels. He had seen and heard Jesus. He was obviously sided with the religious establishment when they wanted to execute Jesus and have him, have him, uh, have him crucified. 
He was part of the group that dealt with this, this fantastic story that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And they said, they, we need to pay the guards to say that the disciples came and stole his body. So he was part of this, this cover-up that was the theft of the body of, of Jesus. Saul most likely had participated, unsuccessfully, however, in the debate against Stephen. When you go back in Acts 6, he was probably right at the front of, of that debate. He had heard Stephen's defenses, not of himself, but of the Messiahship of Jesus. And he was there when Stephen preached a sermon that basically traversed the, the history of the nation of Israel. It was a whole course in Hebrew history, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't buy it. Saul had held the coats of Stephen's executioners and witnessed Stephen's death, the first martyr of the Christian church. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was there giving approval of his death. But as part of God's preparation for his encounter with Jesus, he also saw Stephen's face that became like the face of an angel when Stephen prayed for forgiveness for the men who were stoning him. What an impact that must have had on his life. These are all things that prepared Saul for change, preparation for change. A lot of things went into preparation of Saul before he met Jesus on the road. And I, I'm sure Saul had to ask himself, what was the secret of these people which had made them face danger and suffering and even death so serenely and so peaceful and so unafraid? Saul was preparing, God was preparing Saul for change. And Saul, plagued with doubts, plunged into the most aggressive, violent action possible, going after Christians to imprison them and get them into prison and kill them. We know God has a plan for each of us, every one of us, including our upbringing, our education, training, and, and experiences, our circumstances. They change us. They, they prepare us to encounter this person called Jesus Christ. Our lives are a preparation for the circumstances to meet. And, and sometimes change is prepared by, by questions about our life goals or life dreams or ambitions or priorities or desires. God prepares each and every one of us for an encounter with Jesus, whether you had it before now or, or you're being prepared to have that encounter. Sometimes it means getting stripped of everything or just the new realization of the emptiness in our life a need for just something more, it's, it, there's something missing. Preparation for change. Every one of us gets prepared. Then we find the encounter for change, encounter for change. Jesus met Saul. Saul encountered Jesus, or, or he ran into Jesus. Now, Jesus could have struck Saul dead. He could have blinded him for life. In fact, as Frederick Buechner says he could have polished off this bald, bull-legged Christian baiter with one blow. He said, instead, I have the power to change him. I can turn this big-nosed, fire-breathing fighter right around and make him fight for me. This was not an ordinary encounter with Jesus. But Saul was no ordinary man. Saul, fighting all the questions and doubts about his mission, is on the outskirts of Damascus. When this bolt of lightning flashes, he and his companions are thrown to the ground. And like you do when you see a flash of lightning, you wait for the thunder. There was no thunder. There was a voice from heaven, from God. A powerful voice that said to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? 
That got his attention. And so he asked, who are you? Who are you, Lord? The answer was, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now there's, a, there's an aside I want to take just a minute to talk about this encounter. Those of you who are in connect groups this fall studied a book called Loving the Church. And in that book, Dr. McCain unpacks the truth about the fact that if we attack the church, the body of Christ, it's the same as attacking Jesus. Jesus so identifies with the church that to do anything to attack or harm a church, a part of the body of Christ, is to attack Jesus personally. And I'm not talking just about this church. I'm talking about the, the true church of Jesus Christ, wherever that's found. To say anything negative or to attack uh, another body of believers or, say, or do anything to harm part of the body of Christ is to attack Jesus. He was, he was persecuting the church, and Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Why? Because Jesus' body is the church. It's a very serious issue for us to do anything. And, and uh, Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians 3, yeah, I don't have this, this in, but if you can write this down. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? You are God's temple. God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Now, the word for you is plural, meaning y'all, okay? Or you all, or that there are certain parts of the country, somebody came up after the services, where I come from, it's yous. It's yous. Yous, it, it can be plural. But it's, it's you all, yous, or you all, depending on where you come from. So the you here is you all, which means the, the temple is the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells inside that. And if you do anything to destroy the temple, the body of Christ, he says, I will destroy you. It's plural. Now, this is different from the you in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. In that passage in chapter 6, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. This is speaking about personal righteousness or personal holiness, and it's a you, singular, you, he's talking to individuals. We are, and we learn that all through Acts, we, when we receive Christ, we're indwelt by the spirit of the living God. That's the singular you. He's talking about not offending the living God by participating in sin because the spirit of God is right here in us. The other passage has to do with you all, the body of Christ. And he's talking about loving the church. And there are a lot of people that do harm to the body of Christ. Let me, let me just say something here. Um, and it's just a little aside because it's important that we understand this. People come to churches and leave churches for valid reasons. Okay? There are always valid reasons to make a change. The question is, how do you exit and how do you enter? There are healthy ways to transition and do that. And when people don't do that in a healthy way and they badmouth or slander where they left and they, whether they're coming to our church and talking about that church or that pastor or this, whatever, or whether people do that to us, it's destroying the body of Christ. It's a very, very serious thing. We're not the only church in town, okay? 
We have wonderful churches in town. And whether people go to those churches or come to this church, I always ask them, tell me, tell me, did you talk to your pastor when you left? Does he know why you left? People, people have this thing in America, in the American church, they just disappear. People have been attending, they just disappear. Nobody knows, and I find out they're somewhere else. Nobody talked to the leadership, right? No, we don't know. And then, and then there's gossip and slander and all kinds of things. That, you know what? That's a very serious thing. It says, if you destroy, you do anything against the body of Christ, the t- my temple, he says, I will destroy you. I would be terrified to do what some people do between churches. God has called us to unity, and there are a lot of great churches out there. I mean, and whether a person goes to the Lutheran church down there, the Baptist church, or Jacob's well, or whatever, we want to bless them. And we believe that God has placed every church here. And so please be very careful not to say anything negative about me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anything negative about, about any other church or any other pastor or any other leadership team, anybody in the body of Christ, we're to lift each other up. And if we don't do, if we can do that, Eau Claire, the church in Eau Claire, which is much bigger than this church, can be in unity and we can, we can, we can see each other and we can pray for one another and we can make a huge difference because we are the body of Christ. Bethesda is the body of Christ. Jacob's Well is the body of Christ. The Baptist, they're, they're, they're down the street, it's the body of Christ. Please stay in positive relationship in many ways. There are valid reasons for change, but remember that. That's, that's not in my notes. I, I made that all up as we go. So. But please, the body of Christ... It's important. So Saul encountered Jesus. And the same Jesus is the same Jesus who encounters you and me. He wants to encounter us. And maybe Jesus didn't need to use a bolt of lightning blinding us, but your encounter with Jesus was just as real as Saul's. Jesus meeting us on our journey, our road of rebellion, going our own way, whatever. Jesus stops us in our tracks. He intersects with us at different ways. And the question is, when, when did you encounter Jesus? Or maybe you're in process of encountering. Maybe you haven't met him yet. But Jesus wants to encounter you. Well, Paul changed in an instant from a persecutor of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. In an instant, he saw the truth. And many of his questions about Jesus were answered. And his blindness was proof that this wasn't a hallucination or a dream or a vision. Jesus really met him. The Jesus he had questioned and fought and plotted against. The Jesus he put on trial. The Jesus he voted to execute by crucifixion. The Jesus who had supposedly risen from the dead. This Jesus Stephen had seen just before he died. The Jesus he had been persecuting by attacking his church. Now Saul saw Jesus, not in the physical, with now sightless eyes but with his soul and spirit. His eyes were opened. He saw Jesus for the very first time, even though he was blinded physically. This was the beginning. There's always the beginning of a change encounter. It starts with seeing Jesus. See Jesus, not the physical. For you and me, the first step in our change is to see Jesus. See Jesus as he really is. 
the Son of God. He was born on earth. He lived. He performed signs and wonders. He taught. He loved people. He demonstrated God's love in tangible ways. Then he died a painful death to pay for our sins and rose from the dead. See Jesus. He lived a long time ago. Sometimes it's, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this. But Jesus was a real historical figure. One of the, one of the most life-changing and powerful Profound experiences of my life occurred in 2008 when Judy and I had the opportunity to travel to Israel. We spent two weeks in Israel, a week around Jerusalem and a week around Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And I remember walking through the old city of Jerusalem, standing on the top of Mount Olives, visiting the Garden of Gethsemane, having communion together in, in the garden, Golgotha close by, seeing what, was, what is purported to be the empty tomb, actually taking a boat out on the Sea of Galilee, um, staying up on the, on the side amongst these olive groves and listening to the birds in the morning as the, the, the mist was coming up over the Sea of Galilee. And, it just, it was, and to think, this is real. Jesus lived here. And, and it gave me an opportunity in a brand new way to see this historical place where Jesus walked, where Jesus was. The real person of history, a real place, real events. He existed, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. Seeing Jesus, that's the beginning of change, is seeing Jesus. The second one is believing Jesus, believe in Jesus. Saul, later named Paul, writes this in Romans 10, nine to 10. Critical, critical verse, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's the act of believing. Basically, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, you can be saved. You can be changed. Saul saw, he believed, and Saul was changed. One cannot encounter the person of Jesus Christ and remain unchanged. You must be changed. Paul also wrote in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Or it's the power of God to change a man's life. Change. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? In Western thought, to believe means the intellectual acceptance of a set of propositions or facts. Okay? The intellectual acceptance of a set of propositions or facts. In Hebrew thought and culture, in which Christianity was born, it does mean the intellectual acceptance of a set of propositions or facts. But in addition to that, it also means to place one's trust in. Intellectual belief was inseparable from the action of trust. So I believe all this about Jesus and now I trust him. I am engaging in relationship with him. When we believe in Jesus, we placed our trust in him and put him in charge of our life. It's to see, it's to believe, and the third part is to obey, obey Jesus. See Jesus, believe in Jesus, obey Jesus. Jesus immediately told Saul what he was supposed to do, and he obeyed. It's noteworthy, he took about three days to fast and pray and seek God. This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. This was a, a, an incredibly 
different change. All of a sudden, everything he believed was different. And, and it took him time to just process that. We come to some of these conclusions at different paces, and that's okay. That's okay. We're on a different journey. We're on a different timetable. Our encounter, your encounter with Jesus is going to look different than your encounter with Jesus. It's going to be different. His encounter, he had a time and place where he encountered the living Jesus, and he took time, like three days, to say, what does this even mean? This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. It was a process. Up to this point, Saul had been doing what he liked, what he thought best, what he dictated. But the proof of the transformation, the radical change, came that he immediately then transferred his loyalty to Jesus. He obeyed Jesus. Is there a time of sudden change? Yes, sudden surrender. There's a point where we pass from obeying me, following me, and doing what I want, and doing what Jesus says and what he wants. When we encounter Jesus, the change most evident is when we surrender. It says, God, you now are in charge. Jesus, you are Lord. See, when we enter the kingdom of God, it means he is king, which means he is to be in charge. He has to be our Lord and master. The true Christian is the person who has ceased to do what he wants to do and who has begun to do what Jesus wants him to do. That produces radical change. Are you ready for change? To see, believe, and obey, surrender. Saul, this independent, vicious, ruthless pursuer of Christians, is now led into the city of Damascus, helpless, blind, and humbled, and changed. Well, let's look at follow-up for change. What happens? What happened after that? You enter Ananias. This guy had a right to fear Saul, but he also feared and obeyed God. His fear of God superseded his fear of Saul. That's noteworthy. Okay? He feared God more than he feared Saul. So what role do these already changed? Ananias was already changed. He was already a believer and follower. What role do these already changed persons play in this story, in this radical change process? God has called them, first of all, letter A, to acceptance and reconciliation. Acceptance and reconciliation. There was not a single person alive that had done more damage to the church than Saul. He was responsible for the persecution, imprisonment, and even murder of many Christians. So what did Ananias do? He accepted Saul, he forgave him, and he reconciled in relationship. Wow. What, what a step. What a step. Well, that's the same way God has called us as people of God to forgive, accept, and reconcile and bring together. There's nothing anybody has ever done that God will not forgive. There's no sin that anybody's committed that's so heinous that Jesus didn't die for that sin. He paid for all of our sins. And no one's perfect. And he's called for us to accept and reconcile people to Jesus. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And God has called on us not to accept the sin and all the bad stuff, but to accept the people and help them as they're being changed to reconcile them with Jesus Christ. No matter what the past has been, our role is to bring people back to God. 
The whole of the Bible is God seeking reconciliation with the humans who are wandering and going off and doing their own thing. The whole of the Bible is the seeking God trying to reconcile us to himself. Jesus came to reconcile us to himself. We as a church are out there as the body of Christ, the arm of Jesus, the hands of Jesus to bring people back to God. That's our mission. Not only did he forgive and accept Saul, he went a step further, the development of relationship. This was moving new believers from independence to interdependence. In other words, bringing people who encounter Jesus into community. We're all part of a building, a body, one organism. We have a place we belong. And part of the change process is helping people connect and, and engage in relationships. One of the uh, beautiful parts of having connect groups is that we have a, a context in which we're, we can bring people in and connect them in relationship. See, this isn't an organization. This is an organism. The church is not just an organization, and we're not just here to meet. We are here to have relationship. And part of this whole process that we are called to do is connect people to the other parts of the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, in relationship. It's about relationship. There's a place for everybody in the body of Christ, a place to belong. And thirdly, there was a public profession of faith. Ananias baptized Saul. Baptism is a public profession of a private reality, an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. Baptism is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's saying, I'm in. I'm in. I'm part of this. And, and if you have received Christ, you've had an encounter with Jesus, you've never been baptized, we're going to have baptism in March. So get ready, because we want to baptize you if you've never been baptized. That's the declaration of saying, I'm in, I'm in. If you believed in Jesus, the next step is baptism. Fourthly, as a follow-up for change, a really transformative step, Ananias laid hands on Saul to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be empowered for change. A radical change calls for a radical power. We don't, I got news for you, newsflash, we don't have the power to live the Christian life. None of us do. It's the spirit of the living God in us as we submit ourselves, empty us of self, and fill us with the spirit that, that does that through us. That's the supernatural side. We've been talking about all through Acts is the Holy Spirit was sent and, and he came so that he could empower us and he could live the life of Jesus in us and through us and empower us. There's, there's always a battle between our old nature and new nature. The new nature, the new person in Christ, the old nature is that flesh. We still have bodies. We still tend to be selfish. We tend to be self-centered. We still have all of the appetites. We have all of those things in us. They don't go away till you're dead, okay? When you die, you don't have to deal with all those things anymore. But as long as we're alive, if you're breathing, you need the Holy Spirit of God in you to live the Christian life, okay? Everybody alive? Just making sure? Okay, everybody breathing. I want to make sure today. Okay. If you are here this morning and you seem to be no different than the non-religious culture around you, you need change, then in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit must change you. Then we get to finally mission for change. Where, where does this go? Where do we go with this? The persecutor becomes a preacher. At once it says in verse 20, or immediately he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What an incredible change. People had, had expected... Saul to come and arrest them, Christians. Instead, he's proclaiming their right. 
there's a, a radical change. And when we are changed, our mission is also to tell someone. To tell someone. Jesus changed Saul, a former enemy, into a soldier. Radical change. Who are we to talk to? Who do we find? Who is our mission to? Well, we have people in our lives we might consider outside our or enemies of the cause, or people that are bad people, criminals, drug dealers, pornographers, or abortion providers, or you just name it. We, we can come up with a list of people we think are, are bad. But rather than seek their destruction, we need to pray for their inclusion, to pray for their change, to pray for them. Pray for radical change, that they will come to Jesus Christ. When Judy and I were pastoring a church in Lakewood, Washington, we were faced with a, a, a dilemma. In our community of Lakewood, we had a number of strip clubs within a mile of our church, and everything that they stood for, the, the, the trafficking and the, all of the stuff that went along with strip clubs and, and strip dancing, um, they, in practice, it was against everything we stood for and believed. And, and many people in our church considered they were our enemy. Our people really wanted to make a difference in our community, but everybody had a different idea of how we're supposed to fight this enemy. Some advocated picketing the clubs. They said, we want to carry signs and call attention to the evil. And you know, I said, you know, if, if God leads you to call attention so people are aware of what's going on here, that, that's up to you. But instead of picketing, I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm going to challenge you to pray for the people. I'm going to challenge you to pray instead. The people are not our enemy. I say, we need to pray for them. They need Jesus. Without Jesus, we're all over there, you know, wherever we are. Any, you name the evil, we're in the middle of it. Without Jesus, we're the same as everybody else. It's only Jesus that makes us different. So as part of our prayer ministry, we made a concerted effort to pray for the enemy, the exotic dancers and strippers. So we started praying for them. We didn't know their names, but we prayed for them. One Sunday, about six months later, a young couple approached me after the service and asked if they could set up an appointment to talk to me. So we set up an appointment for, for Tuesday afternoon. Now, I'll never forget this appointment. They came into my office and told me they wanted help with their marriage and to know how to navigate their new life. I said, what, what new life are you talking about? As the story unfolded, she told her story of how she had been drawn into the sex industry and she had been an exotic dancer and stripper at the club just down the street. And three weeks previous, she and another stripper encountered Jesus. They got saved transformed. Well, she knew she needed to leave it. She just didn't know how to do it. Her husband, and they had a small child, they didn't know what they were supposed to do from there. That was their source of income, and they said, we have to know what to do, but we got saved. You know, there was a transformation that happened. Let me tell you something. I don't know anybody that's gotten saved or been transformed by holding a sign in their face, but I know many people that have come to Christ because you prayed for them. Who in your orbit or your knowledge 
can you pray for? Who needs to encounter Jesus to be changed? We all need it. Many have encountered Jesus, but our mission is to pray for people that they too can encounter this life-giving change in encounter with Jesus Christ. Radical change. Mission for change. You know, we not, may not be able to bring lightning bolts and blindness on people, get their attention, but we need to look at people through Jesus' eyes. Jesus sees people. And as you go out in the community, whether you're at the grocery store, or the gas station, whether you're in class, or whether you're at your place of employment, wherever you live in your neighborhood, ask God, let me see people as you see them. Let me see people as Jesus sees them. Because he sees a true heart. We see all the exterior and all the things that they, people put in place. And we need to ask Jim. Let me see people like you. Because he loves them. He cares about them. He wants to change them. We can't change them. We can't change ourselves. Jesus has to change them. That's our mission. Well, Saul was never the same again. And neither was the world. The same aggressive, tenacious man soon named Paul, after a few years of training and searching the scriptures, began planting churches. Changed in an instant. Beekner says, little by little, the forgiven person became a forgiving person. The person who found he was loved became capable of love. His dependence on good works turned into dependence on grace through faith. Changed, he began to bear the fruit of the spirit that he wrote about in Galatians. This stubborn fighter was chosen by God, and we read of his story, his life of joy, imprisonment, depression, love, victory, trials, and persecutions, always just one jump ahead of the sheriff until he finished the fight. Paul planted 30 churches and wrote many letters that we still read today. He moved from a one-time encounter with Jesus to a daily encounter with Jesus. Changed and still changing. Do you need change today? Have you ever encountered Jesus? Are you in a daily encounter with Jesus? That's what brings radical change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who cares about every detail of our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would move us into an encounter with the living God, that we would see Jesus, that we would believe in Jesus. I'm going to ask that everybody just leave their heads bowed for a moment. If you're here this morning and you... God's spoken to you about, and you've never done this before, but you want to receive Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Anybody? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. 
Anybody else? Okay, thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You just pray it silently where you are. And as I pray it aloud, you pray it silently. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I need you. I need to be changed. Please forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. Take control of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, will you please talk to me after the service? We had quite a number that raised their hand. And if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus, we have we want to be able to help you. There's a there's a web part of our website or a link on the website that can say that says what's next and how to how to follow that up. So if you did that, please talk to me after the service. I'll be in the back. Just let me know. Say I prayed that prayer today. Okay. Let's stand, shall we, as we bring praise to God as we close today today but um, in just a moment if you if you prayed that prayer for the first time I've asked some of our our leadership to be up here if you're comfortable we don't want to put anybody in the spot as we're dismissed if you want to talk to them or just just share what you prayed and uh, and ask them to pray for you uh, please do that before you leave today to solidify that you prayed that prayer it's very important that you tell somebody and just share that with them so um, as we're dismissed in a moment uh, they're going to hang out at the front. And you just make yourself uh, available up there. That would be awesome. And now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>